Wow. I be careful. We're worshiping like that. Come up here. I'm bawling in the front row. <laughs> I have to come up here and gather myself. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, worship. That was amazing. They're not up here anymore. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> Pay no attention. <laughs> All right. God bless everybody. It's great to see you. My name is Jennifer Richmond. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, the lifeboat pastor. We call me at the Lamarada Church, pastor of women and children. You know, get it? Lifeboat. Anyway, um, I'm glad we're all here today. I'm excited. We're going to be continuing on, actually wrapping up our series, the first half of it, of our Faithful and Fearless series. Mm. We're in the final chapter of Ruth. Go ahead and open up your Bible or swipe up your Bible or click them up or... VR glasses them up. I don't know. There's all these options now. You know, I don't, someday. Don't you think? You just see Jesus right in there. He's like. <laughs> all right, Ruth chapter four. <laughs> um, while you are getting there, you might remember last week we ended on a cliffhanger in the beautiful love story of Boaz and Ruth just hanging there. Will Boaz and Ruth finally get together? It's like one of those, will she accept the rose ceremony? <laughs> Ruth has put herself out there. Let Boaz know she's available and very interested. And Boaz is interested as well. But like all good love stories, there's a plot twist. So her mother-in-law, Naomi, tells Ruth, just wait and see. Wait and see how things will play out. Next slide. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man, Boaz, will not rest, but will settle the matter when? Today. Today. So it's been a week in our time, but this is all happening in one day for Ruth. And if you've been holding your breath since last Sunday, you can let it out now. We're going to find out what happens. All right. <laughs> There's a few details that appear in chapters 1 through 3, and uh, they're going to get tied up here in chapter 4. So we're going to go ahead and get those kind of back rattling around in our minds so we can look at them for the conclusion. You remember that this entire account began in the next slide here. In the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. These were the days that were described at the end and all throughout the book of Judges, our previous series, as days when there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds like San Francisco. <laughs> and that's when we meet a man who exemplified this, this living by the way that seemed right to himself and not by God's way. We met the head of a family from the tribe of Bethlehem, so a man Elimelech, or Elimelech, from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, Naomi, and two sons, Malon and Kilion, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, while in Moab, Malon and Kilion, they meet and marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And after 10 years, all the men die, <laughs> leaving all three of these women now widows and childless, homeless, really, basically, as well. Interesting side note about Ruth. The Jewish rabbis teach that Ruth was royalty. And she was actually Eglon's daughter. Remember Eglon? 
Remember him? The big fat king of Moab. He was in our study of judges. We learned about him. And that left-handed Ehud judge killed him. So these three women are in Moab. When Naomi hears there's food back in Israel. And so she decides to go back home. Ruth, a Moabite woman who could have stayed with her own Moabite family, and if the rabbis are correct, royal family, she famously and beautifully says to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, make a note of that, if even death separates you and me. What is Ruth willing to do? Die. He's willing to die. This isn't just dramatic. She's serious. And we're going to learn why in a minute. Beautiful, what she says. Very dramatic. Ruth is so, so committed. She's actually willing to die by God's hand, like her husband. And both her father and brother-in-laws have been. And again, if the Jewish sages are correct, her own father had died by the hand of God through Ahab. So God took those guys out. And she's aware that God can do the same to her, a Moabite woman. But there's hope, and it's tucked into her words as well. She has her heart set on the true God. And something important that we really need to understand, and this is going to come in connecting dramatically when we get into chapter 4 in a second, is that God's commands about the Moabites are echoing in here as well. Do you remember... The story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. You can see it here on the slide. Yep, photo maybe, hopefully. Okay. When God destroyed those towns, only Lot and his two daughters ended up escaping. The daughters commit a vile sin when, out of fear and desperation, they thought they were the only people left on earth, and the only chance for offspring, gross, was to have children with their own father. And so out of this incestuous act, they each had a son, Moab to the older daughter and Ben-Ami to the younger. And the beginning of the infamous Moabite and Ammonite nations begins. And we hear about the nations and we hear about these troubles that they caused all throughout Judges. But listen, listen to the very clear word from God about the Moabites all the way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. He said, so no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Why? Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam to curse you. God's not messing around. The Moabites were no good. They did not show kindness. That Hebrew word is chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. Look at you, learning Hebrew this morning. Chesed. And instead, they cursed God's people. And as a result, he forbids relations, any relations with the Moabites for ten generations. How many generations? Ten. So fast forward back now to Ruth. Or fast forward forward now to Ruth. It's out of these people, the Moabites, that we get Ruth. But Ruth leaves the Moabites and cleaves to God and his people, and she heads back to Israel with Naomi, 
where she just so happens, just so happens to meet Boaz. <laughs> For now, we just know Boaz, he's a good guy. He's a rich guy. And as Pastor Joe has described, a good, worthy, influential, prominent, mighty man of standing and noble character. Did you get all those? All right. He doesn't think I listen to his sermons when I met the kids. <laughs> he is, in Hebrew, Ish Gabor Chayil. Ish Gabor Chayil, a mighty man of valor. She gleans from his field, and Boaz sees Ruth's unique chesed and faithfulness. Naomi realizes Boaz is a relative, and not just any relative, but a man who can be their kinsman redeemer, their goel, if he chooses. So she tells Ruth to dress up nicely, lay at the feet of Boaz. We talked about that kind of weird incident last time. And uh, on this threshing floor, in the middle of the barley harvest, and perform a custom of the day that would essentially be Ruth letting Boaz know that she wants to marry him. She finds him at the threshing floor, and she uncovers his feet. And in an echo of Boaz's words to her when he said that she had taken refuge under the Lord's wings, she goes in and says, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's beautiful. And your Bible might read garment or maybe robe when Ruth speaks to Boaz, but it's the same Hebrew word, kanaf. Well, Boaz is willing, but is he able? Does he meet the requirements of the law? Is there anything that needs to be taken care of before he can bring this Gentile woman into his care under his wings? Yeah, yeah, there is. It wouldn't be a good story if there wasn't, right? Uh, so there's this obstacle, and Boaz, our mighty man of valor, is honorable, and instead of just drawing Ruth up in his arms and, and running away in the night like a Hallmark movie, he tells Ruth the reality of their situation. If they're going to be together, something needs to happen first. The law must be fulfilled correctly and fully. And he doesn't want anything to keep them apart. So he must take care of this. And someone who is actually closer in line, someone who came before him, is next to be her redeemer. So don't worry, he tells her. Remain here throughout the night. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. If he will redeem you, Good, let him do it. And we might say, no, 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 no. Not good. Because we want to jump over that whole procedure. And we want to get to the happy ending. And we are all rooting for Boaz and not this other guy. But Boaz says, good. If he will redeem you, good. Why? Listen, because the law is good. The law is there to protect. And the law was established by who? God. And who is Boaz? Well, he's not a mighty man of valor for no reason. He's a mighty man of valor because he obeys God's laws. So he's doing the right thing here. And he adds, maybe seeing a hint of distress appear in Ruth's face, but if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, and we get dramatic, I will redeem you. And again, he repeats, lie down until the morning. Beautiful. So, Boaz sends Ruth off with a promise verbally as well as a token of his intent to keep his word for her, and he gives her measures of barley, specifically six measures. 
Ruth returns to Naomi, and in the final words that we have recorded that Ruth ever speaks, she blesses her mother-in-law and shows that Naomi is not going to remain the empty-handed widow. What faith. What beautiful faith Ruth has. Now Ruth encourages Naomi with Boaz's words, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now this brings us back to Boaz. He's given Ruth essentially a down payment for his promise to get the matter settled. Ruth goes back home, practically looking pregnant as her, as her garment is filled to overflowing with six measures of barley. And Boaz is off to take care of this business and heads right to where all the legal, legal no, 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 you try to say that, legal matters, <laughs> legal matters of the state. All right, we can get sidetracked on that tongue twister later. Legal matters of the state. <laughs> Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. That's where legal matters were taking, taking place. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, just so happened to come by. Oh, such a one! <laughs> turn aside, sit down here, and he turned aside, and he sat down here. Because why? It's, you got a quote from the King James every now and then, right, Joe? You just got it. It's just, oh, such a one. Please, I beg of you all, start greeting each other like that on Sunday mornings. The door, oh, such a one, come on in here. Turn aside and worship with us. Oh, let's all be, all right. Sometimes it's just fun to read it. All right. All right, your Bible might read, turn aside, friend. It might say friend. The Hebrew word translated such a one or friend is actually not one word, but two, poloni almoni. There's another fun Hebrew word to say, poloni almoni, which literally means, a poloni almoni, no, uh, it literally means, it means so-and-so, it just means so-and-so. And it's like when you don't know someone's name, you're like, hey, buddy, <laughs> dude, so-and-so, all right. So we should start saying that too. Ho, so-and-so. We can't remember the guy's name. We should get name tags. All right. <laughs> What's interesting is that since chapter one, we've been introduced to every single character in this entire account by name. Like Samuel, the guy who probably wrote Ruth, really goes to great lengths to tell us every single person's name. First guy, Elimelech, God is king. Then his wife, Naomi, Pleasant, their sons, Malon, Killian, sick and frail. Ruth, even Orpah, and of course Boaz, all the key players are named. But not this guy? So-and-so? Goes out of his way to call him so-and-so? Why? Why is the author keeping this guy's name out of the record? And we're going to find that out in a minute. Boaz calls for so-and-so, ho, so-and-so, and he comes right over and he tells you, what is, and this tells you what a strong, influential guy this Boaz guy is. No hesitation from a so-and-so. Boaz summons him. We're going to go ahead and call him Mr. No-Name, and he sits. Oh, not only that, but because legal matters must be decided with witnesses, our hero Boaz is committed to fulfilling the law and taking care of his hopefully future bride in all the right ways. Next slide. He took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, picture this. Boaz, city gate, 10 guys, Mr. No Name, chit-chatting away, and he's starting to talk about a land deal. Boaz makes sure, notice in the description, to remind them about how she's back from where? 
Moab. And you can imagine the men nodding, oh, yeah, yeah, Elimelech, mm-hmm. He took off with his family. He left all of us. He split from Moab. And look what happened to him. You know, and they adjust their tunics, and they, they keep listening to Boaz talk about this land deal. Next slide. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. They're just like, didn't see any other details there. For there's no one beside you to redeem it. And I come after you. And don't, go, don't click to the next slide. Hold on. Dramatic pause. And Mr. No Name said, hold on, hold on. All right, now, right here, we could only imagine Boaz, the 10, Mr. No Name, all gathered. Maybe the women of the city are coming out. Later it says they were all there. And maybe within earshot and within line of sight to Boaz sit Naomi and Ruth. And they're waiting, and they're, they're clutching one another's hands. They're holding on in anticipation. They're listening in, trying not to look too interested. The only thing they need to hear is Mr. No Name say, no thanks, right? And this will free up Boaz, our hero, to come in to save the day. They can almost hear wedding bells, and they all lean in to hear Mr. No Name's answer. Next slide. I will redeem it. Wait, what? No. No. No, that is not what we want to hear. The women gather around Naomi and Ruth. Maybe Ruth thinks back to her words in chapter 1 when she had clung to Naomi. Next slide. And she said, remember, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. Huh. Oh, gut punch. This must have felt severe to have her hope set on Boaz, to have seen his mighty valor with the people in the fields, his leadership in the town, the midnight meetup, and his grace in giving her a promise of grain, how he complimented her for her chesed, her kindness. She had waited until morning, just as he said, and now Mr. No Name is going to be the guy? Why didn't you just sneak away with me, Boaz? Why did Boaz have to be so upstanding? Why so committed to fulfilling the law? But wait, wait, wait. Boaz isn't getting up and shaking hands on the deal. The deal isn't over. There's more. What's this? Boaz continues speaking to Mr. No Name. All right, well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, let's make a deal, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. <laughs> This is a package deal. Maybe the greatest, but wait, there's more moment this side of Good Friday. Boaz spells out all the details of the law in order for the law to be fulfilled. If you take the land, you also take on Naomi, an old Jewish widow, and Ruth, a Gentile woman, a Moabite to be specific, the sworn enemy of the Jews, who, by the way, is also a widow. Not only that, because she is the wife of a dead Israelite, you're going to need to man up and make an heir with her. She needs a son. So are you sure you have what it takes? Are you sure you're worthy to complete the transaction? And again, Naomi and Ruth and the rest of the group around them lean in. <laughs> And wait for Mr. No Name's answer. Next slide. Then the Redeemer said, I, 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 I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Impair my own inheritance, yes, because if he takes on Ruth, he has to produce an heir with Ruth, and that heir is going to get a cut of the inheritance he had already set aside for his own sons, and he can't jeopardize it. So he says, take my right of redemption yourself. 
I cannot redeem it. <gasps> exactly, yes! <laughs> and the crowd relaxes, and they wait again. We're not in the clear yet. Huh. Because what happens next is almost comedic in light of the tension. But as the author writes, it's also rooted in custom. That custom is part of this whole Leverite marriage law. It's in Deuteronomy, good old Deuteronomy. You should read it every now and then. And you're definitely going to want to read this detail. Turn in your Bibles, go ahead and do it. Find Deuteronomy, it's in the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, number five. Deuteronomy, chapter 25. If a man refuses to step up, take on a childless widow so she can have an heir, continue the family name. If he proves unwilling, if he proves unworthy to fill his duty, then in front of the elders, that childless widow is to, Deuteronomy 25.9, maybe you're already there, maybe you already know, next slide, pull off his sandal, and with that sandal in her hand, she's supposed to spit in his face, and she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. That's crazy. I mean, it's a really humiliating custom. It's called chalitza. And there's another good Hebrew word for you. And it's humiliating for the woman since she has to take care of that guy's sandal, take it off. And it's obviously humiliating to the man since she spits in his face. Spits in his face. Grabs his chancla. <laughs> so humiliating, crazy, dramatic. Is the crowd at the gate looking at Naomi now? Are, are they looking at Ruth? Are, are these ladies getting ready to grab and spit? I mean, what happens next? First, the author gives the reader a quick history lesson about the custom. Go back to Ruth chapter 4, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging, you know, to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. What was the law? She. He drew off his sandal. Wait, 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 wait. Ruth is supposed to untie his sandal. Is he just handing the sandal, you know, to Ruth? Get it over with? Grab the child. All right. Spit guard goes up, face mask, whatever. No, no. Boaz steps up and saves the day, and the issue gets resolved without spit. Instead, Boaz speaks up loud and clear to the elders and all the people and names very clearly to everyone involved in this transaction. Next slide. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Kilion and Melon. Not only does he purchase the land, but also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Melon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And the crowd goes wild. That's the big moment. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, sort of, sort of. In a more official way, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore in Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Now, wait a minute. Where's my dwelling witchly Bible study, ladies? Did you just, like, perk up a second? Did you, like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa. 
Perez, Tamar, Judah. <laughs> we know that story. Uh-oh, here we go. It's interesting that the women bring up Perez, Tamar, and Judah. And hold on to that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, the crowd really goes wild, don't you think? I mean, Boaz looks at Ruth across the crowd. <laughs> and their eyes meet. <laughs> this is such a great movie. It has to be. Naomi nudges Ruth, and the crowd parts. And they embrace, and the music swells. And Mr. No Name, Mr. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, Mr. Close But No Cigar, the man who lost his sandal and didn't get spit on, the one who was unwilling and unworthy to redeem fades back and out of memory as the crowd cheers. Now, Samuel, the likely author of this book, doesn't add all that drama, but I can certainly imagine it. And I'll tell you why I picture it that way in a minute. For now, let's continue with Samuel's straightforward man version of the account. If Joe was telling it, he would do like this too. So, <laughs> Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. That is a great wording, by the way. And the Lord gave her conception. Life begins right there. And she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. You know, back in chapter 1, Naomi wept that the Lord brought her back empty. But now she's full again, and the women cheer. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Has given birth to who? The restorer of life, a nourisher, right? She's not abandoned. She's not empty. She's not childless. She's blessed beyond measure. And they testify about her Redeemer, who is not only Boaz in this moment, but this grandson to come, because through his lineage she will be restored, not only in this life, but in generations to come. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became a nurse, or like a nurse to her. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to who? Naomi. Ruth bears the son. Naomi, it's like she bears a son as well. Everything is being restored. And they named him Obed. Obed means worshiper and servant of God. And his story is an amazing one. Not because of the details of his life, which we don't even have recorded, but because of who comes out of this union of a Hebrew and a Gentile. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and Ruth, the Moabite, bring their family trees together, and from them Obed comes, the father of Jesse and the father of David. Yes, that David, King David, the giant slayer, the slingshot shooter, the psalm writer, the king of Israel, the father of Solomon. Not only do we see the future in these final verses, but we look back into history because the last verse in Ruth includes the backstory to Boaz. You see, in Boaz's own family history was an issue of Leverite marriage. In fact, the only other Leverite case recorded in the Bible, and a faithless husband, and a vow unkept, and a woman who was a widow, who was being left out of having a heritage, and her name was, women's Bible study ladies, Tamar, <laughs> the woman of Bethlehem just saying about Perez and Tamar and Judah. And you can read that entire 
fascinating account in, in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar has twin sons by Judah. And we just sang about the Lion of Judah. That's, that's, what, that's the same guy. The one who, uh, one of the twins' names is Perez. The account of Ruth is not only the account of hope for the future, because it points to David, but it's a redemption of the past. It points back to Tamar's child, Perez, an illegitimate child conceived out of wedlock. Next slide. And these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salman. Salman fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Just for good measure, the author repeats that last section. But why include all this past history in the family tree background at the end of the Ruth account? I mean, why not just rejoice in the great things to come? King David is coming. That's pretty amazing, but it's not enough. There's something unresolved. Recall that God had said that the Moabites were forbidden from the assembly of the Lord even to how many generations? Yeah, 10th generation. How can Ruth then be included as a Moabite? One portion of the family tree appears here in Ruth, but you can find the full genealogy from Abraham to Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. From the time of Abraham until the time of Salmon Boaz's fathers, there were 10 generations. And Boaz by redeeming Ruth, brings her in, and that was the 11th generation. Huh. Go ahead and say it. Wow. Right? <laughs> Ruth could become an Israelite. She could be coming to the assembly because God's word has been fulfilled. That's an incredible reminder of God's chesed, his own loving kindness. The story of Ruth reminds us that the law is unable to redeem us. Ruth's nearest kinsman redeemer by the law was not able or willing or worthy ultimately to redeem and marry Ruth. But Boaz, the picture of Christ, was. Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Boaz not only fulfilled the law, but he showed the loving kindness that the law cannot. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, isn't it? And God made Jesus sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Like Boaz, fulfilling the law at every turn and filled with loving kindness for us, he brought us to him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 a lot about Christ bringing us together. Ephesians 2.13, in Christ you who were once far off, like Ruth, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what about the, ch the town? Remember I said they were cheering? I pictured the scene with great joy and cheer and relief. Why? Because everyone was so happy for, for Boaz and for Ruth, yeah, but much more because this entire account is a picture of Christ and the church. In God's great providence, all these events took place and they didn't just happen. <laughs> they were real lives in real history, but God brought their stories together to point us to the ultimate glory of the entire Bible, that God so loved the world, he gave his son. When the fullness of time come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the, what? Law, to redeem those who were under the law. The law came first, just like Mr. No Name. In Revelation 5, John had a vision where he saw a scroll, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open that scroll or break the seals, and he was crushed. And he began to weep. Reading the account of Ruth, I pictured the women around Ruth and Ruth herself at the thought of the unwilling and unworthy unnamed man not redeeming her. 
Mr. So-and-so is unnamed because he's a reminder of the law and how the law only reminds us of our separation and our sin, but has no power to redeem us and reconcile us to Christ. And we need to be reconciled. We're lost. How crushing that would have been. And the crowd looking up around in hope, who will be worthy? Who? Who will step up? And Boaz does and wins the day. And that's what Jesus did and will do. Next slide. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you see that? The root of David. You see, Jesus wasn't just Ruth's grandchild and offspring of David. He came before David. He came before Ruth and Perez and Lot and Lot's daughters, before Abraham, before Noah, before them all. Jesus was and is and is to come. That is our great truth. That is our hope. Growing up in the church, I remember there was this little note handwritten and taped to my dad's pulpit. And eventually it became a plaque and was permanently attached there. It simply read, Sir, we would see Jesus. It's from John 12, 21. When some Gentiles had come to the disciples asking to see Jesus. And that's my hope. That's my hope sincere prayer every time I take this place of teaching that I would do nothing but let people see Jesus. And it's not only my hope, it's the reality of every book of the Bible, every account, everything has been recorded for us that we would see Jesus. We see him in the account of Ruth as our ultimate and perfect kinsman redeemer. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to two sad men walking away from Jerusalem who were still unaware that he had resurrected. He came alongside, he walked with them and showed them in scripture how they all pointed to him, all the scriptures pointed to him, still unseeing and yet not realizing, still held in grief and doubt. They invited him to break bread and keep talking. And it was when Jesus held up the bread around their dinner table and broke it at that moment, at the sound and at the sight of our Savior, the bread of life, blessing their bread, their eyes were released so they could truly see Jesus. Listen, without Christ, you're lost. You might think you see Jesus, but if you see the made-up version of who you imagine Jesus to be, you do not see Jesus. With Christ... You're bought with a price at great cost in perfect love across all of time to this very moment. He is your hope and your future and your redeemer. And your response now is to see Jesus, who he truly is, and receive him like Ruth and lay aside her pagan background and receive him, her kinsman redeemer, laying at his feet. Let him cover with your, his wings of mercy. And we're going to come now to that table and break bread and to drink from that cup to be reminded in our hearts set them straight again with our God I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up right now and declare together worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and we sing with all the faithful all those who lay down at the feet of their redeemer and let him be the one to redeem we sing worthy 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 we know our redeemer lives we worship him and we thank him today we invite you to come now during this time of worship and take the cup and the bread the communion it's all set up for you on the back tables sing with us pray join with us if you like you can come forward today for prayer 
come up. You can kneel. You can sing. Pastor Joe and I are going to be up here to pray with you, or you can just simply come forward and just pray and just sing right up here and praise to our great God and our King Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you right now. What a great, mighty God you are. You have redeemed us. <laughs> we would be lost, and we are lost without you. And so we come to sing and honor and praise and recognize that in the sight of all these witnesses to testify to your great name that you are worthy. And all God's people said, Amen.